While it has nearly been a year since the horrific invasion of Ukraine, the Ukrainian people's suffering did not start last February. Yulia grew up in Ukraine when it was still a part of the Soviet Union. In her childhood, Ukraine didn't fully own its own culture, as Russian language and history was imposed upon Yulia, even though she already had a rich Ukrainian culture to draw upon. The conflicting nature of her upbringing left Yulia questioning, what does it mean to be Ukrainian? There are many ways in which our identity can be defined for us. None can compare to an empire dictating it from everywhere it can, from schools to churches to gulags. So how do you respond to that unwanted influence, particularly when it escalates past an attack on your culture to one that threatens the safety of your own home and family. I'm Tai Chu, and this is Listen for a Change, a podcast amplifying the unique stories from the invisible among us. We find the voices you don't often hear, we empower them to heal around their experience using storytelling, and we turn up the volume to open up all of our hearts and minds. This isn't just storytelling, this is an intervention to restore compassion. Yulia first told her story at our April 2022 Story Hour in San Francisco. Here now, we walk through it again and go a little bit deeper. My name is Yulia, I'm Ukrainian, and I have been gearing up for Russia's war on Ukraine pretty much all of my life. I was born in the town of Mykolaiv, south of Ukraine. It stands on the banks of two rivers, southern Bug and Ingul, 40 minutes away from the beautiful Black Sea, 45 minutes away from now occupied Kherson, five hours away from annexed by Russia Crimea. Today, my hometown is at the front lines of the war battles against the Russian military since day one. Fighting, resisting, surviving, rebuilding, impressing Ukraine and the whole world. I have never been so proud of my hometown, but that's not how it all began. Back in 1984, when I was born, Ukraine was still a USSR the Ukrainian Social Soviet Republic, one of 15 in Soviet Union. Growing up, being a daughter of a working-class family in southern Ukraine, I have no memories of camping or road trips with my family. It was a luxury we could not afford. I do, however, remember laying flowers to, be, to the portrait of Lenin, a man responsible for the death of millions. Some of you might be aware that his body is still displayed at the Red Square in Moscow for all the Russians to worship. All of us back then were speaking Russian, we were taught in Russian, we were thinking in Russian, we sang Soviet Union songs, we drank the poison of Russian propaganda. But that's where my heritage came to rescue. I was blessed with the fact that my parents came from Western Ukraine. And almost every summer I got to visit my very Ukrainian grandparents on my mother's side, Babusia Katya, 
and Dido Ivan, kind, hardworking people, unbroken by the most outrageous life circumstances. My mom, Maria, was born in 1947, just two years after World War II, when life was unbearably difficult in Ukraine and the rest of the Soviet Union. My mom left her home and her parents behind at 16, when she was promised more work and, and better life in, in then rapidly developing south of Ukraine. In the late 80s and early 90s, my mom started taking me to visit my grandparents in western Ukraine. It was a long journey. 28-hour train ride, two-hour bus ride, and a two-hour walk by foot journey. Every time I would find my grandma in the same spot, her large garden where she pretty much grew everything to sustain her. I would see her from the distance and shout something in Russian like babushka. She gifted us always with the biggest smile, immediately breaking into tears and greeting us back in Ukrainian. That's when my mom would switch to Ukrainian too. So pretty early on, I started paying attention to the language domain myself. My grandma's speech was pure music to me. I could never had enough of it. Village kids made fun of me speaking Russian, but in a loving way. They've always accepted this little Russian-speaking girl from a big city in the South as one of them. Ukraine gained independence from Soviet Union in 1991. The people of Ukraine voted for independent Ukraine. We wanted our own life that, uh, that came with our own decisions and consequences. Blue and yellow became the colors of our independence. In fifth grade, my school curriculum included Ukrainian language and literature. My teacher, Olha Alexandrovna, who taught pretty much also my brother and my sister, so three generations of kids in our family, has shown so much love and respect for the Ukrainian culture that I've never seen before. And even though Ukrainian classical literature is mostly sad, as it's a record of the Russian Empire oppression on everything Ukrainian, I was so hungry to learn it all. It's hard to explain, but already then I could physically feel the sense of belonging. And that belonging was of Ukrainian nature. On top of that, we started to study deeply history. And the first knowledge of Holodomor emerged for me. Holodomor is Stalin's monstrous policy in the early 1930s that led to deaths by starvation of millions of Ukrainians in the East and South, primarily in villages because that's where Ukrainian culture and identity have been the strongest. It was easier to fully control the citizens of the cities. You must switch to Russian language. Ukrainian is for peasants. Peasants? Then why? The Ukrainian elite, such as many composers, politicians, writers, poets, were repressed by thousands, sent to gulags, which is labor camps in Siberia, or simply killed. Why the Ukrainian Catholic Church was banned by Stalin in 1946 and had to exist underground till 1986. I was just a teenager, but by then I had soaked up so much historical pain. What does it mean to be Ukrainian? I carried all my conscious life. All my conscious life, I wanted for Ukraine to succeed on every level. Yet, 
I could not be the Ukrainian I wished to be in my own hometown. Mykolai was heavily russified during Soviet Union. I could not speak Ukrainian because in Mykolai people would look at you as you're crazy. I mean, the main square of my Ukrainian city was still decorated with the giant monument of Lenin. I looked at it and deep in my heart I was imagining the day when that's no longer the case. Sending this big miracle wish into the universe. God, will I live to the day when I no longer stare at this monster? My soul and spirit desperately needed an oasis, and that's where came to rescue me, attending Ukrainian language and culture, and, and, and soaking up our traditions and getting to know it more, and of course, visiting my mom's village in western Ukraine. With every visit of my grandma, my grandpa has passed away by then, I felt even stronger love for everything Ukrainian. By then, of course, I spoke Ukrainian every time I visited as well. And visiting my grandparents' home with my mom became one of the most important memories of my life. I was so happy there. To this day, I see that house and the river in front of it in my dreams. As the years went by, I continued feeling discriminated against in my own town. It was painful. Because I did love my city and I always dreamed of the day when I'll be proud of it and the city will love me back. In 2007, however, I immigrated to the United States. I never planned to leave Ukraine, but, you know, me coming to the United States was the only hope to help my family. And as I, will, as I was leaving my hometown for good, Lenin's statue still was there. So there was a lot of pro-Soviet Union memoria and, and mood among the population. It's only when I moved to the United States I was able to fully free myself of this Russian-influenced luggage I had been carrying with me for the last 20 years of my life in Mykolaiv. I didn't have to pretend anymore. I didn't have to go through uncomfortable feeling of shame. I didn't have to force my identity aside. I made a decision to embrace my Ukrainian identity. I didn't have to feel like an odd dog anymore. I was proud to be Ukrainian. And then 2014 happened and everything changed. Ukraine has gone through the first clear sign of Russian aggression after Ukraine claimed its independence from Soviet Union and a revolution of dignity took place. When Ukrainians ousted a Putin's puppet of a president, Yanukovych, who declined to sign a treaty according to which Ukraine will get in the path of becoming European nation and country. People did not agree with such a choice. Free Ukrainians wanted a free democratic Ukraine that's a part of Europe. And just for that, 100 plus people were shot in the center of Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. Hundreds went missing thousands injured. We all learned so much about Ukrainian oppression and Russian aggression, but now we were going through it in our life flashes, reliving the history. But there's always light in every dark moment and Ukraine was making a clear choice. Many Russian-speaking Ukrainians were switching to Ukrainian. You know why? Because Ukrainian identity and language became our weapon against Russia. Maidan events were followed by Russia's annexation of Crimea and the start of the war in the east of Ukraine. 
Once again, Ukrainians made it very clear to Putin that they want nothing more than independent free Ukraine. And this is where Putin's nightmare came true. Ukrainians choosing Ukraine. And it's then when the tears of joy and pride ran down my cheeks as I finally watched a stupid statue of Lenin fall in my hometown. I sobbed from happiness watching a Facebook post. I waited for that moment for 30 years. Every year, we Ukrainians hoped for Russians to demand democracy. Every, every year since then, we hoped for Putin to step down or be removed. But there was no sign of that inside. And so our worries grew again and greater. But even in such fear, one must continue to live and work. So we, the Ukrainians in Ukraine and all the world, did what we can, including us Ukrainians in the Bay Area, founding a nonprofit in Nova Ukraine. For me personally, cultural diplomacy was my mission from the beginning, ever since I moved to the United States in 2007. As Ukrainian-American, I tirelessly educated my friends to never say the Ukraine, to say Kyiv, not Kyiv, to spell Odessa with one S, to try Borsh and know it's a traditional Ukrainian, not Russian dish. Last summer, at the age of 36, for the first time when visiting my hometown of Mykolaiv, I've heard Ukrainian language and spoke Ukrainian freely as never before. And it's that special moment where I felt the presence and almost a spiritual force of touching the impossible. 30 plus years of waiting. It was August 2021. Just six months later, I will be in Chile in the middle of Atacama Desert with my friends from Kharkiv, where via satellite phone, we all learned that our beloved Ukraine is being bombed. Ukraine, which is bigger in size than France, Germany, twice the size of Italy, one and a half times bigger than our state of California, bombed by a neighbor bully with whom we fought against Nazi. Our biggest fears came true. Putin has engaged in full-scale war on Ukraine. Today, once again, Ukrainians are being killed for the same reasons as millions have died already for. Just for being Ukrainian. Because we will never give up our freedom. We will never give up our dignity. We will never surrender to Russia. This is tragic. It's so unfair and painful. It's something no nation should be going through in 21st century, just 77 years after World War II. And today we are in month seven of this war. Close to 10 million people became refugees fleeing to Europe. Close to 10 million people became display internally displaced in Ukraine. Close to half of those numbers are children and elderly. The civilian death toll is growing tremendously. United States has admitted more than 100,000 Ukrainians in five months. My mom, who was waiting for me in that bare-bones home of her parents in Western Ukraine, is now with me in California. She had to make a choice and leave behind my older sister and her grandchildren, who remain in Ukraine. 
65% of Mykolaiv's population has evacuated. I watched my school being hit by Russian missiles and destroyed on social media. And again, there's no end of this war inside. Ukraine, stay strong. Bravery does not have a color, but if it would, it would be blue and yellow, and it would speak Ukrainian. Yulia, it is so wonderful to hear from you again and to hear your story again. Um, I imagine that your heart remains heavy after everything that's going on. Tell us about the experience of developing the story and sharing it not just the first time in April on our stage, but once again just now. How is that experience for you? Ty, I got to say that when the war started, and for many of us, we continue adopting this mindset of not looking deep into, not allowing ourselves to, to be afraid, to be honest, to, to take a break, because the war is going on and people are dying and, and, and many of Ukrainian people are in greater need that, and pain. That's what we're going here, Ukrainians, you know, in, in safe spots, but Developing this story has helped me to process my own trauma of establishing my identity and getting in touch with, you know, generations of painful history through my family, through the story of my family, through the stories of uh, friends, families of friends I know. And it helped me to accept that this is the destiny of a Ukrainian nation. And it gave me more strength and motivation to continue something that I've been kind of doing intuitively over my life is I think everyone deserves to embrace their identity, to process their trauma, embrace that formed identity and reality of theirs and be proud and also hopefully gain strengths to drive this forward. So I'm, it helped me in many ways to process the trauma and um, gain strengths to continue doing what I can to help the people of Ukraine. You speak very eloquently about what being Ukrainian means to you. And the more that, you know, in hearing your story and the more that I learn about Ukraine, there is a part of Ukraine that is inherently overlapped in large part, not in large part, but, you know, with Russian culture and Russian language, just by mere fact of it being a part of the USSR and the hometown you grew up in. What is the feeling of knowing that such a big part of your identity overlaps with a part that is really tough for you to square with 
Does that make sense? Um, I think I understand your question, Ty. But again, I was blessed to be introduced to my identity so early on and uh, luckily have critical thinking to to separate uh, two. And, you know, I never had um, since early age because of my background and the circumstances of my life, um, I never had to um, choose between Russian and Ukrainian identity. I took on Ukrainian identity very early. For me, it was more about fighting the Russian environment. But I watched many people to fight uh, or even go through a simple realization of, well, you know, there's a big difference between being Ukrainian and Russian. And something that I've been exercising so early on is now a mainstream. And as we hold our events in San Francisco and the Bay Area, it's pretty incredible to hear predominantly Ukrainian language. And then sometimes we even have to ask people that, you know, uh, we do have friends in the Russian community and they attend the events. And all of a sudden, they're slightly outcasted uh, because they don't understand Ukrainian. And Ukrainians force is what's driving all of these events and um, it's a beautiful moment so it was the matter of time everything is the matter of time but it's also on people uh, and the nation to make the right choices earlier than later and this is why it's so important to be a wise citizen of your country of your community pay attention to what's happening know the history and the more we know our history, the better and fast, you know, the better choices we'll make for our present and future and faster. And Ukraine is just a very good example of it. And I hope, you know, Ukrainian nation is now inspiration for many other nations that still tucked away as a part of Russia, but they yet to come to their authentic identities and step away from Russia enforcing this great grand Russia culture on everything and everybody. Well, and speaking of enforcing and influencing a culture upon others, I think of the U.S. And I think in many ways about the ethnocentrism that a lot of Americans feel, myself included. And we feel like we know a lot about the world, but it's all very much from a lens of the United States, with it being the global superpower that it has been. And a part of your story that really stood out to me is how you had to correct people, like close friends of yours in the U.S., on how to spell Odessa and how to remove the the from the Ukraine. Um, what is the help us understand what the perception of the U.S. is in Ukraine? Like growing up, what was America to you, and what was it like in the news? What was it like in the media? What was your understanding of the U.S.? as you were growing up? Oh, Ty, that's such a good question. And um, see, here's the, you know, kid growing up in south of Ukraine, very russified, but Ukraine gained independence uh, independence from the Soviet Union in 1991, and the curtain fell, and MTV appeared, and first American films. And that was a mind-blowing experience for us. In fact, before I went to fifth grade, before I started actually 
uh, diving deep into Ukrainian culture and literature, I was already exposed to American music and films. And I didn't start studying English till fifth grade, but I went there speaking English because we had this terrible pirated translated films where translator was always behind it was like the same guy translating all the american films and he was always behind so i you know i would hear english first and then delay translation in russian so i learned i picked up so much vocabulary before i even started learning english and i was fascinated you know i remember seeing um even collecting stickers of um from bubble gums i remember you know getting this uh, sticker of snowboarder and that blew my mind i was like wow you know one day i want this to be my boyfriend i didn't know that word back then um but music you know i feel like some of my so many of my creative friends were heavily influenced in positive way by being exposed uh, as teenagers as teenagers to american music um so I remember all of us loving Bill Clinton. I don't know. I just have this memory of, you know, America is this great unknown to us country. It's one of the best countries in the world to live. And it seems so impossible to even dream to be in the United States one day. But here I am. But, you know, my statement is that it was always a positive light that me and my friends specifically in the live saw the united states you have me laughing over here just thinking about these videos i mean i want to get a copy of these videos now with like this delayed translation um you speak very fondly of your family and of your grandmother and also of your mother who now lives in california it seems to me, and you know, please help me understand, it seems to me that the role of Ukrainian women is a very, women take a very strong role in Ukrainian culture. Um, can you help us understand a little bit more what the role of women is in Ukrainian culture and also what role they've taken on since the war? Absolutely. It's interesting that you ask this because growing up, Watching my mom mm, holding a position where she was a manager to many men, for me, it was only natural. When women can be bosses and they make good bosses. And, you know, uh, all of the men on my mom's team, they respected her. Um, so to me, it was to me, it was normal. In Ukrainian culture overall, woman has always played played an important role. Sometimes there were some inequality in terms of who is doing what, um, even professions. But overall, I feel like Ukrainian culture is almost a culture where you can, which you can use an example of matriarchal heart, <laughs> uh, where women plays a very important role. And specifically today, Ukrainian women, they're responsible so much. We just had this conversation with the girls from um, this initiative I co-founded with my best friend from London, another woman. Uh, together we started the first Ukrainian women expedition. 
And we did this initiative to get together these young women in Ukraine and expose them to the culture of mentorship through a difficult project in the mountains to help them that nothing is impossible. And it's all about the teamwork, the strategy, uh, the ability to work with resources, working together on a goal. And we were talking about that today in the circumstances of war, where many men are giving their lives to make sure Ukraine stands and win. Many of them will be not able to go back to the workforce. They will be disabled, those who will survive. So rebuilding of Ukraine, one of the biggest bite-sized countries in Europe, will be on the shoulders of women. So we are facing a very serious role, country destiny defining role of Ukrainian women in society today. And I, I feel very proud and honored to know and have in my life so many Ukrainian women that, you know, take on the position of leadership, but always remaining kind to everyone around them. I'd say, you know, Ukrainian women make good leaders and, um, you know, I'm not going to say that women better than men or men better than women. You know, I, I always say people should be with the right skill set and intention in the right place. And the mixed gender teams are always best performers. But Ukrainian woman is definitely playing a big uh, role today for the country that's going through war and that the country that needs to be rebuilt and where majority of men are now fighting. I want to go back to a point in your story in which you were talking about the first time that Russia invaded Ukraine, which was not recent. It was back in 2014. And I want you to rewind a little bit for us. And I want to know where you were when that happened, when you learned of that news. What was going through your mind? Were you... What, you know, were you con- was were things being confirmed that you thought were going to happen? Were you scared? What was happening in your mind? Absolutely, uh, annexation of Crimea happened um, right after Revolution of Dignity, and I was very involved. I was uh, in San Francisco at the time. We had a lot of protest uh, and meetings to raise awareness that this going on. Uh, Russia has been very aggressive towards Ukraine. Uh, we were doing a lot of these meetings through a platform we started uh, that's called Maidan SF. Um, I was going to City College at that time, and I even remember having a Photoshop class where our one of our homeworks were to Photoshop your biggest fear. Until back then, I Photoshopped Putin sitting on a throne with, you know, impersonating a devil. And behind him was his Russian army pointing guns right at me. I photoshopped it as my biggest fear. But also I knew that this is a very realistic scenario unless the West will intervene in a proper way and Putin will be punished for his actions. And 
I remember giving an interview in front of Russian consulate that, by the way, now is closed permanently in San Francisco. And I was telling, if you spend just a little bit of time getting to know the history of Russia and Ukraine relationship, you will understand that Putin will not be stopping unless he stopped because he has his imperialistic ambitions. And if we don't punish him for annexing Crimea now, we will be at the brink of World War Three later. And people thought this is an intense statement and look where we are now. So it was eight years ago and I was fearing exactly what is happening today. You've already hinted at some of the work that you're doing. Can you help us um, understand more? What are you doing now? How can we help? And more specifically, what is the nonprofit that you've chosen to represent and to raise awareness for? Absolutely. Um, I'm very grateful that back in 2014, you know, on the heels of Revolution of Dignity, together with some Ukrainians of the Bay Area, we had a vision to start Nova Ukraine. A nonprofit with the mission to help Ukraine to build a strong civil society, to help vulnerable groups of people in Ukraine, and to raise awareness about Ukraine in the United States and around the world. We established many partners on the ground, and it's because of our work during the last eight years, when the war started, we're perfectly positioned to start deploying humanitarian aid to Ukraine immediately where it was needed the most. Nova Ukraine has raised since February 2022 more than $45 million in donations, more than $10 million in kind donations, and we're spending the most on medical equipment, on basic needs, food, shelter, first aid kits, evacuations, rebuilding bomb shelters, helping refugees in the United States, and even doing a little bit of animal welfare. And there's so much work to be done, and I'm very grateful for all of Nova Ukraine volunteers, you know, we build these incredible teams. And by the way, all of us are volunteers. I myself had to quit my job back in March to deploy my time, efforts, and skills to be helping Ukrainian people. We have refugee team, we have medical team, we have Ukraine ground operations team, we have animal welfare team, we have emergency housing team. And I know we're month seven into the war and and many people have helped a lot many people are tired of war but you know we are in in this together because the world is better where ukraine is free and democratic country and russia is punished so no one else has an idea that evil is welcomed in this world and that the good guys will not protect what needs to be protected there's, you know, as I mentioned, more than 100,000 Ukrainians have arrived to the United States. So many of them still need housing or they need a sponsor for United for Ukraine program. Children need basic school supplies. You know, one of the 
very good ways to help is to hire a Ukrainian. There's so many ways to get involved uh, by volunteering your time, by continuing making uh, a small monetary donation, because honestly, you know, financial donations that we can deploy to Ukraine immediately make so much difference. People need food. As I mentioned to you, there's so much, like 65% of my hometown have left, but the town is fighting, you know, it's the front lines. The infrastructure being constantly damaged. So people remain without water, without food, uh, without, you know, uh, heat. Soon the winter is coming. So there's so much work to do. And I can't wait for all of us to get to rebuilding Ukraine. But for now, it's all about immediate humanitarian aid. And we at Nova Ukraine, because we have now more than 4,000 volunteers on the ground in Ukraine, and we even opened uh, an office in Kiev. We know exactly what's going on. We have a ways to validate, cross-check. We constantly uh, put out there our donor reports. So all the information is on novaukraine.org. You can find us on social media and follow our process and join the project and initiative that speaks the closest to you. Animals, infrastructure, children, mothers, um, psychological uh, help, because this trauma, you know, we already had so much historical trauma and now this trauma will stick for us, obviously through this lifetime, but also, you know, how do we give a chance to children that now have seen the war firsthand? So I invite everyone to join our efforts. And if it's not Nova Ukraine, just look at the organization um, that's local to you. Make sure you cross-check that this organization has a way to deliver help where it's needed the most in Ukraine, but everyone can do something and touch the miracle of Ukraine to stand, to win, and to become a prosperous European country. Thank you once again, Yulia, not only for sharing your story, but also being such a strong advocate to be an organizer, to be somebody who is rallying people and, and engaging all of us to do what we can to help Ukraine. Thank you for the organization that you founded and also sharing that information. I encourage folks to look up the website, novaukraine.org, and also follow them on Instagram. And like Yulia said, donate, help out however you can. There's many great causes out there that are specific to things that you can do directly right now. Once again, Yulia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Right, thank you so much for giving me a voice today and to speak for all of Ukraine. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you liked our show, please be sure to check out listenchange.org to learn about our storytelling workshops. And please rate and subscribe Listen for a Change wherever you get your podcasts. Our production team for this episode was Tunde Damarin and Momo Kaneda. I'm Tai Chu, and remember, a story untold is simply a thought.